You're listening to the Renewing Our City podcast, where we equip you to reach your world. And now your host, Matt Shaw. Welcome to episode 11 of the Renewing Our City podcast, where our goal is to help you reach your world. Hey, whether you're a pastor or a church planner, missionary, small group leader, or someone wanting to share the message of Jesus with a friend, you've came to the right place. We release a new show twice a month on the first and the third Mondays, bringing you these high-quality interviews with guests from around the world to help you fulfill the Great Commission wherever you're called. If you're interested in checking out the show notes with helpful links and more information that was mentioned throughout the show, type in renewingourcity.com forward slash 011 for episode 11. Now, I know it's been a while since I've released an episode of the podcast, and first of all, I want to say I am sorry, but I have just seen amazing downloads of these first 10 episodes over the last months and truly felt the leading of the Spirit to continue to release content to equip the church for ministry. So we are back and ready to go. We are excited about the future content. We already have 10 interviews done, and we are going to be booked out for the future with many more to come. Another thing I'm pumped to tell you that is Renewing Our City is officially a nonprofit ministry that has been funded by donors who want to get the word out and bring you this episode and future episodes completely free. This is exciting, and there are two ways that you can help give back to the show from what you have listening to. And if you like it, go on over to iTunes and whether uh, wherever you're listening to this episode and give it a rating and review. This just helps more people find the podcast and know about it. The second thing is just forward this to a friend or tell somebody, hey, you should subscribe to the Renewing Our City podcast. Anyway, enough of me talking. Let's get into our featured guest interview with Tony Jones. You're going to love this episode, believe me. I recorded this interview during the summer with others around me, students, other adults, and they just love this guy. Tony's passion for reaching people who have never heard about his saving grace and for people who are just downright hurting, he just does some amazing things in ministry. Hopefully he'll inspire you to uh, further your calling and what God wants you to do. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Tony Jones. Well, hey, welcome to the show. I'm here sitting with Tony Jones, uh, the Tony Jones, one of the coolest guys I've met in a long time. Uh, I'm so glad to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Tony. So good thing we're not being filmed. (laughs) (laughs) We're not being filmed. Good to be here, Matt. Hey, uh, so uh, everybody listening here, I do have a couple other uh, students and other uh, guys around us, so if you hear any noise or any comments, uh, they'll probably be chiming in a little bit. We might ask some questions, you never know, but I'm super pumped. We're sitting here in Grand Guave, Haiti, and uh, I've been working with Lifeline Christian Mission on a mission trip, and Tony came over, and he's kind of known as the coffee guy. He comes over, and he uh, shares his ministry, and I was inspired, encouraged uh, by what he's doing. And so I thought I would share with you guys uh, listening to the podcast a little bit about him. So, Tony, why don't you just start off and just retell me that story of how you got to the mission field? Because it is it's a powerful now, and exciting story. Now, 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 which which part? Like how? What do you mean? Like, do you want to like which which one did I I just want which one? Which one did I say? Which one did you say? How which story did I say? Because uh, I got a lot of them. Well, you just talking about how you became a missionary. So okay, all right, log, yeah, simple. Here's how I became a missionary. I was a log home builder in Canada. I had my own company for 15 years, built handcrafted homes. Got saved September 1995, and uh, probably three weeks after I'd been saved, we had some people come into the our little uh, assembly that were called missionaries. I didn't know really what a missionary was. This couple lived in a school bus in Africa, and they, they, they had literally committed their life to serve this little village. Uh, they had Bibles translated by Whitcliffe Bible translators into their language. These people were literally left everything to live in this school bus with their three kids and, and minister to this, this village in Africa. And I was just, I looked at these people, I said, either they're crazy or they've got faith like I, I can't believe. And I actually kind of doubted what club I joined here after listening to these people. But uh, I, I'm, you know, uh, so later it just worked on my heart. I've never, never forgot those people. And uh, for me, uh, success in life was loving what you did and whatever you did, be the best at it. And uh, I can tell you my job was a joy. 
But after being saved, it was kind of, I felt joy unspeakable. This was a whole different joy. And one day, uh, we were just in, actually, I was in a huge expansion in my business. We had bought a piece of property. We are expanding the company. I drove my pickup into the yard, and uh, I, I looked at uh, all the guys working, and I just didn't get out of my truck. And I saw everything I had built, and then I just realized it was nothing. I, I just felt in my heart I wanted to go on the mission field. I called the guys over Friday. Friday night we went out for dinner, and I shut the entire company down. I just, the joy was gone. I wanted to serve God and not myself. You just shut the company I, down. I you literally. sell the company, you just shut no, it down. No, I didn't sell it. I didn't, I just stopped everything. I sold everything I had. Uh, I had a lot of idols in my life. God showed that to me. I sold everything. I had boats and trucks and motorcycles and stereos, and that meant nothing anymore uh, after wow. being saved. Um, I stopped my business, sold the property, sold the forklift, sold my tools, put my money in my pocket. And at that time, missionaries, we had a lot of missionaries coming into the church asking for support, asking for support. Well, for me, I kind of had supported myself most of my life, and I wanted to take that to the mission field. I didn't want to burden the church or burden people. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was go work with less fortunate people but support myself and disciple them through employment, try to find something to do in a poor country. So in 2000, that led me to the country of Cuba, where uh, I spent four years in a communist country. I pray to God, don't send me anywhere easy. Well, you know, he answers prayer. Welcome to Cuba. Welcome to <laughs> Haiti. I worked in Cuba as an underground missionary, running a couple of businesses, and then the government found out, and uh, I was arrested in 2004. They were either going to throw me in prison or, or kick me out of the country, and thank God, they kicked me out of the country. Uh, so what kind of businesses were you were you doing in Cuba? Well, basically like I do here. I, I know nothing about <laughs> the, the businesses I, in, I did in Cuba. First thing I did You're in Cuba. You're using that as, a, as a, uh, a way to get into the country yeah, to share the gospel. Exactly. So to, to, to understand the communists, the way they are there in Cuba, uh, you, you can't stay as a foreigner. You can't live there. The only way you can live there is bring a business. So that's what I did. So the first thing I did was I did an agriculture business. Now, I know nothing about agriculture. I still to this day can't grow weed, but God does. <laughs> and, and I started an agriculture business where I exported organic fruits and vegetables. Now, in the year 2000, organics were just starting to kick off. And I worked at a grocery store previously. So I called a couple of buddies that used to work at a grocery store. Now they were food wholesalers. They put me onto some organic guys. I started flying organic fruits and vegetables out of the country. And with that money, what I did was I supported myself and I supported home churches in Cuba. In Cuba, they don't allow you to build churches back in 2000. You couldn't build a church. That's how they try to control the growth of Christianity. They just don't give them a place to, to worship. So yeah. what happens when the Cubans come to the Lord? Their house is their church. So I would find these little... Cuban families up in the mountains six hours from where I worked in Veradero, Cuba, and I would go and I would support the little home churches. I found a good pastor, and I worked with him solely. Now, a big problem I had in Cuba was there's just a lack of everything. I couldn't get Bibles. I couldn't get tracts. I couldn't get stuff they need because the government controlled yeah. the amount of stuff to coming in. And when the stuff arrived in Cuba, the, the Cuban government would open literally every container, and they would steal everything that they didn't want. They would, they, would, they would take stuff, sorry, or that they did want. They would take the stuff they wanted, and then what they didn't want, they would put in the stores for sale. And I wanted to bring stuff <laughs> into Cuba. Yeah. And I wanted to get Bibles and tracts and just stuff these little home churches needed. All of a sudden, <clears throat> uh, the number one economy in Cuba is tourism. The number one tourists at that time were Canadians. 53% of the tourism in Cuba really? were Canadians. Because you Americans weren't allowed to come in then. Yeah. Right? Now yeah. it's just opening up. So anyway, I'm sitting down with a Cuban, one of my workers, uh, and he said, you know, Tony, you know what a good business is here is a travel agency. And I said, what do I know about a travel agency? Same thing as I, I know about agriculture, <laughs> nothing. I flew home, I sat down, met, had a, went to a church, a couple came up to me later after I spoke at a church, and they said, uh, I, they, I asked them what they do, and they said, oh, we just started a travel agency. I said, you did? Do you send people to Cuba? No, we're trying to get into Cuba, but we don't know anybody there yet. But we're, well, you do now. You do I know now. nothing about a travel agency, but let me go back and see if I can learn. I went back. Two weeks later, Cuba Trek was born. 
Cuba Trek. It should have been called Cuba Wreck, but it was called <laughs> Cuba Trek. For so I started uh, listening oh, to this that doesn't know what a travel agency back before yeah. the days of the internet, you had to actually <laughs> you, book a flight yeah. with somebody else hey. and they would send yeah. you to a different country. So just, right. just to clarify a little bit, right? Okay. I don't know if Abby sitting over here know, knows what <laughs> one of those are, but yes. So <laughs> this couple was set up. What I did was I went, I was in the number one tourist area in Cuba, Veradero. They had 43 hotels on the beach. I went to the hotels with my Cuban workers, met a general, uh, everything in the country is run by the military. One of the generals said, I said, do you mind if I start a travel agency? They said, absolutely not, because you're bringing money into the country. They love it. And that was my way to smuggle stuff into the country. So we made a deal with the people in Canada. I said, listen. Anybody that comes with Cuba Trek has to bring Spanish Bibles, Spanish tracts, stuff for the hospital, because guess what? They never checked one bag coming into the country back in 2000. They never checked nothing. Wow. So all of a sudden, anybody that flew with Cuba Trek, I was kind of adventure tourism. I had Jeep safaris, diving excursions. I had a kayaking. We bought kayaks, shipped them down there. I had a kayaking. I can't kayak. But you know what? Either could the people that came. So we did all of this. But the beautiful thing was everybody brought an extra suitcase filled with Spanish Bibles wow. and Spanish tracts. It was unbelievable. I was smuggling literature in for four years. Actually, we started 2001, the travel agency. So from 2001, 2004, I was able to feed these churches in the mountains with good material. We were, we were getting pastoral courses in Spanish. I was bringing anything. And my clients were bringing them in. They were smugglers. They didn't even know it. Were you um, were you working with those churches in in the in the mountains because the government was less up there, or was it was no. it allowed more? No, because mountains? because most of the churches are in Havana. Yeah, they're all those churches are being helped. These are needy people. But you're going to the mountains. But is the government as uh, prevalent know, there? As prevalent oversight? You know what? They're everywhere. They got snitches everywhere. Yeah. But they're less prevalent up there. Yeah. But that wasn't my goal. My goal was to to work with the most needy. No. Snitch. And these churches had nothing. I mean, these people had no clothes. I was bringing clothes in. We were bringing anything in they needed. Mm. But mostly, that's what we did to to further the gospel in Cuba. And then, sure enough, about six months before I got arrested, uh, a general came up to me, and he warned me. He liked me. And he said, Tony, they're watching you. They know what they're doing, and you just better shut up about this Jesus Christ because they are going to kick you out of the country or arrest you either way. And, uh, and sure enough, six months later, I couldn't stop. I mean, I'm, I'm not there for a businessman. I'm there to further the gospel. I mean, it's all about the kingdom. And so I didn't stop. I, actually, I probably did more. And in the last six months, and then sure enough, uh, I flew home to let everybody know what was going on. When I flew back, I got arrested in the lineup going through immigration, and they held the jet up and uh, threw me in a room. And they, had, they waited for an hour and a half to see if I was going to jail or, the, and, and, or go home. But they didn't want to mess with the Canadian government, I guess. Yeah. They put me back on the plane, and, and out I went, and that was it. Uh, so well, I got kicked out in 204. What, what was that like to be to be arrested? To, to Did you see it coming? Did, was it, well, were you nervous? No. You know what? I, I knew Cubans really well. Um, a lot of them are in their job because it's a job. A lot of them, um, they liked me. I mean, yeah. I, I would have a guy threaten my life, and then him and I are having a pizza that night. I mean, <laughs> they do it because it's their job. Yeah. Like when the guy threw me in the seat in the plane and threw my passports at me, he winked and smiled when he left the plane. I mean, I knew the guy. So it's kind of more for show. Uh, I was, yeah, I was a little concerned I was going to jail. But, uh, no, I mean, hey, I got a good security guard. God is good. And, and yeah. he looked after me. And, and that was it. And I actually got allowed back in two years later. The general that warned me, he got me back in two years later. But I had already made a decision to come to Cuba. And he told me, I can come back, start my businesses again. But if you mention Jesus Christ just once, they'll put you right back on the plane. And I knew, what am I going back for if I can't further the gospel? I'm not yeah. going to, you know. So I flew back for one week just to see the pastors that I'd worked with. We hugged, we kissed, we cried, and I left. But till this day, we still support them. My little home church in Peterborough still uh, supports the main pastors that I worked with in Cuba. So are there more, are, uh, are those churches, you know, thriving or, oh. you know, growing? Oh, absolutely on fire. That country is on fire. I urge any American Christian to go to Cuba. Those are the most beautiful believers I have ever met. Wow. That place is on fire. Communist country, and they think they're, they're, they're stopping God? No, no way. He is building his church tenfold in Cuba. The most beautiful believers. I love them. 
and I recommend anybody to go and, and uh, get to a little mountain mountains, uh, home, a little mountain church, and, and you'll never forget it. That's yeah, awesome. they're a blessing. Yeah. So I love your philosophy of business as mission. Yeah. So you're using business as an opportunity to get into countries. And, and so after you were done with Cuba, what, how, where's the story pick up from there? So I was, I was blessed to be put on a Christian, uh, largest Christian, uh, uh, I guess the largest Christian show in Canada called 100 Huntley Street, heard what I was doing. They actually came to Cuba and did an undercover story on me. They, wa- they wanted me to come back and interview me, and I said, no, I live here, and I don't need to be on TV, and da-da-da. But anyway, long story short, they came down to Cuba, and they, did a, they gave me, put me on the air for two days. On, on, on the show about what I'm doing underground. And actually, by the time it aired, I think I just got kicked out. <laughs> but anyway, a mission in Haiti had seen, what, had seen the program. A Canadian mission who was in Haiti had seen the show, saw that I'm kind of like Paul the tent maker, go to a country, start a business, support yourself, disciple people through employment, and don't burden churches or people for money. And uh, next thing I know, I got a phone call from some people out in Alberta, Canada, a big mission they have in, in Haiti, and they wanted me to come and help. And I was like, Lord, you close one door, you open another. You know, send me to Haiti. I'll go. And so I told them yes. At the same time, I got a, an invitation to Nicaragua because the Nicaraguan mission had seen the program. Same thing. But we had already, I had already decided to come to Haiti. Now... You were you're you were a single guy at the time. Single guy. And so yeah. did that empower you to be able to do some of this mission work? Oh absolutely oh absolutely. I would never drag a woman through what I did. <laughs> what I yeah. went through. And that's how I kinda looked at it. I'm on my own. I'm gonna serve God single all my life. I marriage was the last resort. That's kind of how I looked at marriage. But, you know, God had, a, God had another plan. But uh, that was one of my reasons I could, I mean, if I could go to a bad area or dangerous area, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put wife and kids in that, that same yeah, boat. because I think a lot right? of people uh, look at singleness as, like, yeah. you know, and being a Christian, like, how are you not married? Oh, and, no. And what is wrong with you if you're not married? And, and it seems like you really oh, were yeah. able to further the gospel oh, through being oh, single. Oh, there's nothing like being irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You, just, you get married, then you got to get responsible. Boy, when you're irresponsible and you just rely on God, you just, I, like I say, I wasn't called to the mission field. I dove right into it. I mean, I went feet first. Yeah. You know, that, that just, now I don't recommend that to everybody, yeah. you know, just, but that's just kind of, I was that sort of guy, I guess. Yeah. So let, you, you moved to Haiti, you start working with that mission. I heard you were sleeping by a tent down by well, the river, down by the well, ocean. Well, I'm going to tell you, it, it um, I'm going to say I, I, I was in Cuba where there's no Christian missions, there's no orphanages, Christian, there's no Christian schools, there's no Christian colleges, like zero. And then I come to Haiti, the land of plenty. Okay, more NGOs and Christian organizations than any country in the world per capita. More orphanages than any country in the world per capita. So I come from a country that has nothing biblically, like I mean, and the gospel is on fire, and then I come here to this place. Well, did I get my eyes open to missions? Um, Let's just say it wasn't what I thought. This group that I came with had told me they would have a bunch of things ready for me that no problem. I told them this is what we need to do, blah, blah, blah. I flew here December 206, met with them, said, okay, I'll be back in April of 207 because I had to come home and get everything ready and, and tell everybody I'm leaving, spend Christmas at home, of course, with mom and the gang. And uh, when I came back, they had done nothing, absolutely nothing. I spent two weeks with them. I noticed how they were around their Haitian employees. I didn't like how they treated them. I noticed they wouldn't let me talk to them. I met sponsors of of uh, children that didn't even go to their school. Mm. I met, uh, I can just say my, I was disappointed in what I saw. And sadly in Haiti, that is par for the course. So I spent two weeks with them and I had enough. They, they didn't do anything. They didn't even have me a place to live. So I, I had a tent my, on my back in my backpack. I walked out of that mission, went to an internet and a lady heard me speak in English because I was in her, I was going to internet. I was going to email some friends back home and say, guys, I don't know where I'm staying. I left this mission. I can't work with them. And sure enough, another American was here. She heard me talking. They had an internet cafe here in Grand Guave and said, oh, we got a piece of land down by the ocean. I said, sounds good to me. I got a tent. <laughs> I'd spent a year down there. I spent a year at That's their compound awesome. in the tent. And I look at it this way, guys. 
If you're going to disciple somebody, the best way to do it is get to know them. And how better to know them than to live with them? And I didn't want to live above the Haitians. You see the poverty here. Well, who are me to jump in a great big, rent a nice hotel or stay in a big three-story home? I could have done that. But, man, when you're in a tent, they look at you like you're lower. And not that we are lower. We're on a different level. But, we're, you know, it's just, it was really, they'd see me walk to town every day. I'd walk with the Haitians. I mean, the fishermen are walking with me. This guy, you know, what's he doing here? Yeah, you're building So it was really great i mean i ate on the streets with them i i i mean third leading cause of death in haiti is eating on the streets for sure i was <laughs> sick for about six months and lost weight but you know what it was all good it was all good that's awesome yeah real quick i want i want to yeah. just talk about it because i think a lot of people have misunderstandings about haiti you either love it or it seems like yeah people interested in missions love it yeah. or hate it yeah where uh they see a lot of the abuse they see where um haiti gets so much help uh, Un- oh, yeah. compared to other countries mm-hmm. but you're still here in haiti how, right. how do you justify that well i very reason i i'm not here for my sake i'm here for his and and the way i look at it guys is that i'm not responsible for the end result he is if i was responsible for the end result of this country i would have left years ago years ago which which i which i almost did a couple of times but i'm here to give glory to god that's it first and foremost give glory to god that guy went to the that guy went to the cross for me. I can come to Haiti for him. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's no simpler than that. That's awesome. Yeah. I love your passion, Tony, because it's so cool to see. I know a lot of the students here with us just really caught that that passion where you, you're living by in a tent trying to not live above them but live yeah. with them. Mm-hmm. And I remember you're talking about this lady. She was bringing a plate of, a plate of food in, yeah. into your tent Feed so you me. could eat it. It sounded like, like you were doing too hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I ended up marrying her. Yeah. yeah, I ended up here, <laughs> which is which is God knew. God knew what to keep me here. I so went you, through a couple episodes, and and uh, I was gonna leave, and and uh, but oh man, God 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 gave me a beautiful wife and two just beautiful kids, and without them, I would not be in Haiti for sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about when you came here. You're living uh, in a tent. How'd you get over the language barrier? It, it, yeah, you're not you're not from that part of Canada no. where you're speaking French. No. So and and this is how stupid I am. This is this is how, how stupid I am. They're on the same island as the Dominican Republic, right? Yeah. I'm thinking Dominican Republic Spanish. Haiti's got to be Spanish. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know it was was a Creole. Yeah. So I'm thinking, great, I got my Cuban Spanish. I'm going to jump into Haiti and start speaking with, with the local gringos. Oh, no. I get to the airport, Buena Dia. They say, bonjour. I say, what? It's, it's just That crazy. is so oh, my, I didn't even, <laughs> can you imagine? So, and that was kind of crazy. And, um, but, but a be- uh, I got to tell you, like, God is just so good, guys. I'm going to tell you what really kept me in Haiti. Because the third day I was here, I was leaving. Even with that mission, when I saw the poverty, when I saw the kids eating the same mango peels as the pigs. You know, I remember seeing a pig digging a mango out and the little boy grabbing it right out of the pig's mouth. I was not, I've never seen poverty like that. I worked with the poorest of the poor in Cuba. There's no doubt. But this was on a scale I couldn't believe. And it really got to me. You know, you see all the abandoned kids here in the country average mother in this town has six children 70 percent of the homes there's no dads there's no dads there's kids running everywhere i really wasn't used to seeing the little kids how abandoned they were battered they were hungry they were and it really got to me in three days i was kind of a mess and the and and the mission hadn't been really cooperating with me so i said i'm leaving i'm done because remember i told you i had an invitation to nicaragua yes. and these people weren't speaking spanish and i knew they did in nicaragua yeah. so i called a brother of mine and i said dave i can't i can't stay here in haiti i got to leave and oh tone for sure he wanted to to uh, partner with me on some stuff once i got the business going and uh, and so i said okay he said tone get get out of here Let's go to Nicaragua. Okay. So I phoned American Airlines. The third day I was here, I said, I I changed my ticket. I had a 10-day ticket. And I said, I'm leaving. So I got the mission. I told the mission, I I don't want to... I can't stay here. I just can't. This is this is no no infrastructure. What kind of business am I going to do here? There's just nothing for me to do. So I got them to drive me into Port-au-Prince. We were about 20 minutes from the airport. We're going to Port-au-Prince. They told me at that time the gangs were around this one area. Don't roll the windows down. Don't take any pictures. You know, the van was all smokescreen glass. So we're in a big one of the famous traffic jams. Now, you got to understand, this is the third, actually the fourth day. I'm leaving. Like, I mean, I'm going, God, I don't know why you sent me here, but I'm out. I'm not, I can't stay. So as we're going, we get in a big traffic jam. 
I'm looking at, out the van. I'm looking through the smokescreen window down at this Haitian with those big white piano key teeth just smiling, looking <laughs> up at me. And I noticed, he, I sensed he wanted to say something to me. And I'm looking, I'm looking, and I remember the Haitian saying, don't roll the window down, Tone. You blonde, you'll get us killed. That's what they literally told me. But he want, I could see he wanted to say something. So I rolled the window down. And I looked, I stuck my head out, and I looked right at him. He was in a beat-up old Honda Civic or something. And uh, he said, Jesus loves you. And he pointed at me. He said it with such passion. He goes, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He said it twice. And I'll never, and it shocked me because he spoke English. I'm listening yeah. to this Creole all the time. And, and he drove away. It's like he just drove away. As he's driving away, I, I'm half out the van yelling, he loves you too. He loves you too. And the Haitians, they grab me in, you stupid blonde, get in here. They roll me up the window. They roll the window up, and then we keep the traffic's <laughs> moving now, right? We're 10 minutes from the airport, and I remember looking in the rear view of that van. I could see half my face in the rear view of the van. I'll never forget it. And I just had a tear come out of my eye, and all I heard was, I love you. I love you. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? Jesus loves me. What am I doing running from him? I tapped that chauffeur. And I said, get me back to Grand Guave. I was literally 10 minutes from the airport. Wow. That was an angel God sent. And that was back in 2006. And here it is, 2016, I'm still here. 10 years later. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That man, I know I'm going to see that guy in heaven because that was an angel. That I'll is never so forget cool. it. That's what changed my mind. Literally, guys. So Turned that was it. Then I come back and I looked at the kids a whole lot differently and played with them and, you know. Got the scabies off them and everything yeah. else they got. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming back. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about your, your current ministry and how God's uh, been working in you. So you started a business at a, at a gas station. Yeah. And you start working, and, and then uh, sounds like you, you got rid of that, and yeah. you, you found out about unreached people in here. Right. Yeah, because, yeah so, so when I got to, got to Grand Guave, uh, you know, I don't know how many missions there were at that time, but to give you an idea— uh, the total population of this region is 115 to 117,000 people. The town of Grand Guave has 22 missions currently at this time. 22 missions serving 7% of the population. There's 7% there's of the population live in town. 93% live in the mountains. I had no idea anybody even lived up there. I had a gas station I was leasing at the time. And every Saturday, as I told you, there would be more donkeys and cars in the gas station in the morning. They'd be pooping all over the place. I had to get my employees just, I had one guy just cleaning poop all day, literally <laughs> is what he was doing. And I said, where do these people come from? And the local mayor, he used, I was good friends with the, the local politicians. You got to be in this country. You, you, you do. And uh, they told me, oh, Tony, those are mountain people. They live in the mountains. And, and I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, well, how, how many missions are up there? Oh, no, no, no. There, nobody goes up there. Not even the government. And I, and I just really was kind of thrown off at that. And I said, you mean that's the greatest population, but nobody's up there? No, Tony, nobody's up there. They all come down for things and they go back up. So uh, one day uh, the, the mayor director was meeting uh, one of the mountain guys and I recognized him from being in the lineup on Saturday with his donkey. They yeah. came in to get kerosene. And I noticed he, he teared up. He was in a bad way. And the way I am with the Lord and how, how he works with me is, if I want to work with somebody or help somebody, if I have to think about it, even think about it for two seconds, I don't do it. But with God, it's like, help this man. Work with this person. Send this kid to school. It's like an instant feeling I get. And when I looked at him, that was what I had in my heart. Help this man. I didn't even know what his problem was. And then the director of the mayor's office at that time told me that uh, he's here because uh, he has a school in the mountains, and uh, it's going to shut down because his teachers hadn't been paid in eight months. And I'm asking, well, how come the government doesn't do it? Well, the government doesn't build schools or pay any of the teachers in the mountain. They do it all themselves. And right away, I, I was just really thrown back at that. And I said, okay. I said, let's, uh, let's, let's get to the mountains and see this guy. That's basically basically what, what, what uh, had come into my heart. So I told this guy, he told me that a school was going to close on a Friday. The teachers were going to leave because he hadn't paid them in eight months. I says, I'm coming up on Thursday. I got the dirt bike. I'll throw the mare on the back, and him and I are going to come up and see you. Now, you know, guys, I had never been to the mountains. You can see the mountains right from here. I figured, no problem. This has got a 650 cowie. It'll climb just about anything in this country, <laughs> I thought. And uh, 
So we're going and we're riding for 20 minutes and I, I'm, I'm, I don't see a meal. I'm, I'm looking for him after 20 minutes and another hour. Two hours later, we're literally at a, at a bottom of another mountain. You don't bend over to eat the grass. It's straight up. And I said, I said to the director of the mayor's office, I said, uh, where does this guy live? We've been going two hours. I hadn't seen one house. What do you mean 93% of the population live up here? I haven't seen a house yet. He's, oh, don't worry, Tony. We're not there yet. He's coming. I go, what do you mean he's coming? Sure enough, over the ridge come three donkeys. One for me, one for him, and one for the, the director of the mayor's office. I'm like, what? We had to get on this donkey. Three hours we rode into the sunrise on this donkey. <laughs> Took us five hours to get to where he lived. The children had never seen a white person. They were scared. When I come over the ridge on that donkey, they didn't know what they were looking at. And um, because no, no white guy had ever been up there. So I saw there was 800 people. I'm going to say 800 to 1,000 people waiting for me because Emil had told them there's a white guy coming up here. A blonde's coming. A blonde, Vini. And they couldn't believe it. So I get up there and they pry me off of that donkey. I was, like I said, I thought I was going home in a box. It was, I was so That's sore. So funny. I get off it and I saw the kids, they wouldn't come near me. I walked towards them because, you know, here in town, they just run for you. But yeah. up there, they run away from me and I'm like, what's wrong? And then, don't you know, Tony, they've never seen a white guy. I couldn't believe it. Well, I know a way to a kid's heart here, and that's through a soccer ball. And I had one in my backpack, and I got it out, and I kicked it to these kids, and that was it. It was like I needed security. That's it was awesome. like 800 kids come running for me. It was a great time. Rubbing your, They love the hair on your arms and just, you know, stuff like that. So anyway, long story short, I sat down. These were unreached people. These were, This is like the 60-40 window of 80. These people were unreached. They knew nothing about the, the gospel. They'd heard about it from missions down in town, the adults, but the kids knew nothing. They knew Jab. So let me, for your audience, Jab is the devil in Creole. Basically, 95% of the mountain people practice voodoo. It's been, I mean, this, this country gained its independence over a voodoo ceremony. So they all know Jab. They all know the devil, but they don't know Jesus Christ. So that really, really hit me. I told them, listen, here's what I'm going to do. The teachers at that time were making $10 a month. I said, God instantly put in my heart, this is where I want you. I, I, this is where I want you. And um, so what I did was I told the, I sat down with the teachers. At that time, they had 645 kids. And uh, all the kids were there. And, and the school was closed the next day. I said, I'm going to pay for all your teachers to stay here. I'll pay their monthly salary because I was running the gas station at the time. I had money. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, but the deal is, I have to bring the gospel to these kids. I can't believe they don't. I need to bring the gospel. I want to bring literature. And every morning, I want someone to give them a, a, a Bible story. Because I'm here as a disciple. I'm, uh, that's what I am. I'm a, I, sure, I do business, but it's his business, not mine. And so uh, I'm into kind of like a higher education, you might say, that's when you come cool. to these schools. Yeah. And so they said, hey, Tony, you're keeping the school open. You do whatever you want. You see, I couldn't do that in Cuba. But here, oh boy, free reign. And so that was great. So I ended up giving them a $5 raise. They were getting $15 a month. I paid them every month. But the best part was I was able to give these kids the gospel. It was beautiful. It was, it was beautiful. It took about a year, year and a few months before I saw real fruit. But little steps, just little steps. And you got to understand Haitian children. And this is what most people don't understand and guys mission trips are great but i'm gonna hate to say this term i use but i call most of the mission trips here missionary tourism is all it is yeah. it's missionary tourism what can you possibly learn in a week to two weeks about a haitian if you don't even are allowed to go and fellowship with one or disciple one so i'm going to tell you something about haiti and some people like it some people don't but children in haiti are not loved don't ever tell me they're the most loving people you ever met they're not they're the total opposite. They do, not, they do not show any affection to their kids. So a Haitian child in the mountain goes to bed scared every night. You can understand. They've never been read a story. They're never tucked in at night. They've never been had affection. The only time a Haitian child in this country is held is when they're an infant. The moment they can walk, they are on their own. They're getting firewood in the mountains. They're getting charcoal. They're walking two and a half hours one way to get water at three years old. 
I can tell you so many stories about it up there. But they go to bed scared tonight because there's a demon up there called the Lugau. And any Haitian listening to this knows what I'm talking about. It's a voodoo. It's a demon that kills children. It's, a, it's really prevalent in, in, uh, in voodoo rituals. And these kids go to bed scared tonight hoping that this Lugau isn't going to come around their house. So that's when God said to me, you tell them about me and you tell them about my love. Wow. We started to talk about this Jesus Christ that loves them and will protect them against these Lugaus. You would not believe the transfer and the life in these children. What was so beautiful was the kids were running home at the end of the day telling their mothers about Jesus Christ. And, Mommy, I can go to sleep tonight knowing that this Jesus Christ is going to save me. And I had these little cards I got from a group called Scripture, Scripture Gift Missions. And it was a little child being held in the hands of Jesus, so-called, you know. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. And it's about his protection and his love. And they would put these little cards under their pillows at night or cardboard bo- or cardboard sheets. Half of them slept on the floor. They don't even have beds. Yeah. They would put them under there. And when the Lugaus would come around at night, they would tell me they would get this card and they would hold it in their hand and they would pray to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, please get rid of this Lugau. And that Lugau was gone. I could tell you so many stories about that. I got pictures of it. And then they would come the next day and they would tell the teachers that this Jesus Christ... Got rid of this Lugau. Oh, it was awesome. So one day, you got to make people accountable here. I'm not a guy that just puts my money out, hope that God's doing the work. He is doing the work, yeah. but trust. No, I make people accountable. So what I do is I don't tell them when I'm coming up. I want to make sure these kids are hearing Bible stories every day. Like they're hearing Joan and the Whale, Daniel and Lions. They don't know anything. The mothers would sit there with the kids listening to these stories they'd never heard in their life. So I'd get the donkey and we'd head up there. And sure enough, I'd come over the hill in the whole one time. The whole school was surrounded by women. And as I told you, you get a group of women and a bunch in Haiti, look out. It, it, could, it could end up bad. It could end. Well, sure enough, when I got up there, the women were all looking through the cracks of the boards of the school. It's like a barn. And they were listening to the pastor I had in there doing the Bible story. And I, we went in the school, and there's the little kids. The moms have got the little books sitting there listening to the story because 70% of the adults can't read or write. You see, so you can't go up there, give them a Bible, hope they can read it. They can't. Yeah. 70% can't read or write. Faith comes by hearing. hearing. So I had them tell the stories. Oh, it was beautiful. But really what got me, guys, was the first time I actually saw a mother caress their little boy. That was about nine months into me going up there. Mm. I actually saw a mother just reach over and go like that to her little boy. That meant everything to me because any time a mother reaches her arm out, it's for discipline. I can put a mother and me... I can stand beside a mother in Haiti and we can put her son at the end of the road and say, run to me. And guess who he's going to come to? He's going to come to me. He or she's going to come to me because they run away from their mothers. They don't run to them. But this time it was different. The mother was caressing the little boy. And, you know, usually, usually they, they get, they shrug their shoulder, but oh no, this little boy, because you see the kids here in town, they love affection because guess what? When you leave, nobody else gives it to them. So you tell about Jesus Christ, and he'll take your place when you leave, guys, let me tell you. So it was great, because, you know, I'd come up, and there's old Tone, and these I'd, I'd have 145 school kids hugging me. I mean, I get them at my house sleeping at night, waiting for a hug in the morning. I mean, I find kids on my doorstep at 5 in the morning waiting to get a hug before they go to school, because they don't get it from anybody else. But guess what? The first thing I learned in Creole is Kisa Remeu, who loves you? Jay-Z Remyu. So always tell that to the kids. Kisa Remyu. Jay-Z Remyu. And, always, and I always tell them it's Jesus in me. It's not the blonde in front of you. I, you don't want to know the real Tony Jones. Jesus Christ changed. He made wow. this Tony Jones. So you tell them it's always the Jesus in you. You know, because we've, we've kind of gone about it the wrong way here, if you want, if you want my opinion. Anyway. Yeah. Let me think for a second. You just covered so much, but let's talk a little bit about the demons up in the mountains. And yep. I know some people uh, may not be comfortable with talking about that, but just talk to me a little bit about the voodoo and how um, how you were c- combating that, how Jesus has conquered that, how he's overcome oh, yeah. it. But oh, yeah. I'm sure it's still prevalent in the mountains. Oh, well, I can tell you it's probably the biggest problem in the mountains. Uh, the beauty is greater is he that is in me that is in the world. I mean, we're, we're already on the winning side. Why don't you first explain what voodoo is and, and, okay. and, and the demonic powers up there? Well, man, just to give you an idea how touchy this subject is, we've got 22 missions in this town. I've been kicked out of four, never allowed back in. The rest of them, I'm edited. I can't talk about it. 
and for, for good reasons. It, young people, it can be scary. Um, voodoo is, is definitely the most prevalent, like in the mountains. Witch doctors outnumber real pastors two to three to one. Uh, we'll go seven hours up on a donkey, and there'll be a 3,000-square-foot mansion up in the middle of nowhere owned by a witch doctor because guess what? They get paid to kill people. They get paid to curse kids. They get paid for all what they do. And I, just to give you an idea, I've witnessed to many witch doctors. Witch doctors in Haiti all agree and know that God is the head. I've been to ceremonies. They'll have a Bible at the ceremony because they're like me. They want to know who they're up against. And, and they literally read the Bible. But what all I can say to you is most witch doctors, they tell me that I tell them when I witness to them, if you know God is the top and that any time he could kill you, then why do you still continue to, to worship these, these demons, these false gods? And the number one answer is because your God won't give me what Jab will. Lucifer. They call him Lucifer. Mm. He gives me women. He gives me power. He gives me money. He gives me houses. He gives me visas to France. He gives me visas to the U.S. He gives me houses in France. And it's all monetary gain. Because, guys, look at this country. What, the poorest country in the hemisphere. How would you entice someone to, be, to work with the devil? Give them something. Yes. Monetary, right? And we all know the devil knows how to work in every society. I tell people here, um, here he works. Uh, it's demonic possession. In our country, in North America, it's demonic obsession. Mm. That's kind of how I tell people things. Like, we have a disease in, in Canada called affluenza. I mean, it's everywhere, as, as in, I'm sure, in the U.S. But that's literally how, you know, the devil know, knows how to work in every situation. And in Haiti, he, he, he gets his people by giving them what they want. They're so poor. But a witch doctor is wealthy. So, um, Have you seen any witch doctors come to the Lord? Oh, oh, have I? Brother, yeah. I'm in the mountains. That, listen. When I start planting churches in the mountains, those witch doctors are going out of business. I mean, it's just that simple. I can tell you the best conversion story you're ever going to hear. The reason I'm going to tell it to you is because every mission in town gets me to repeat it team after team after team again. So, yes, witch doctors get converted, and they can actually be the best witnesses because they were involved with the devil. I mean, like, they were the right... He, they were his, their right-hand man, more a deal. I mean, we talk about child sacrifices. Now, this is going to blow your people away, and the missions in town, if they hear this, they're going to be mad at me, but there's been 17 kids sacrificed since I've been here in nine years. That's just cases we know about. One little boy was a very, very close friend of mine, and they sacrificed him because I was planting a church. And they killed him. It's the real deal here. Don't ever let some mission group tell you it's folklore or superstition. It's not. This is why they don't allow me to talk about it, because this is what goes on in Haiti. I could tell you so many terrible stories, but guess what? God's building this church. The most powerful witch doctor in this town got saved. The most beautiful story. you got to understand witch doctors. They're cowards. They're cowards. If you want to curse somebody, you, you like in this, and say someone in Grand Guave wants to have someone killed. They'll go to a witch doctor in another town. They'll never use a local witch doctor because that witch doctor knows that family can come and chop him up, which is what they do in the mountains. In the mountains, there's no police. They take, they take justice into their own hands, and that's usually a machete. I can tell you stories, but we're not going to get into that. Yeah, let's you know, not go this there. This is a family show. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, let me just tell you about one conversion. I can tell you many, I mean, because I've been involved in them, but the best conversion, the one that I like the most, is was, he was the most powerful witch doctor in this town. This conversion was approximately five years ago. Uh, two gentlemen came from another town called Leogon. They had a blonde mission come there. It sounded like he was as crazy as me. This guy wanted to further the gospel. These two, these two voodoo guys, one, one was a witch doctor and the other one was kind of his apprentice. They did not want this, <clears throat> they did not want this guy around. He was causing too much trouble. They, they, I mean, he, these guys are losing, losing business. So they came to the switch doctor in town. They wanted him killed, which usually is a guarantee. Within five days, I, can, I have, could tell you about so many people that I've actually held on to guys that died literally in my arms from a curse. But um, uh, these two guys came. They sat down with them. And in this country, if you want to kill somebody, you need a picture. 
you need a piece of their clothing or you need a mirror. Now, you're going to see when you take pictures to Haitians, they don't like it. They don't like it. Don't let someone tell you they don't like it because they're shy or something. There's two reasons they don't like it. Number one, the Haitian believes their soul can be removed through the eyes. That's why you'll see them never smile. How many, they'll smile unless you go, Suri, Suri. It's hard to get them to smile. Number two, that photo can be used to kill you. Mm. And they'll take a photo of somebody to uh, the witch doctor, and he'll put a knife in the photo, and you're, you're dead in five days. It's guaranteed. If you don't have closer or, or a photo, you go to the local market on a Saturday or Wednesday. You're going to see a guy carrying mirrors. And that's what kind of threw me off. I, you'll see the guy carrying like 100 mirrors on him, all strung down. You'll see mirrors with a red trim, a black trim, and a yellow trim. If you buy a mirror with a black or a yellow trim, that is what you can use to kill somebody. So this is what the two men did in Laogon. They didn't have a picture of the missionary, so they went and they bought a mirror. They bring the mirror to the witch doctor. The witch doctor already knows they're coming. Like the, like the devil's real, guys. He's real. I, you know, back home, we, we hear about him. We read about him. Here, you can feel him. I mean, he is real. So the witch doctors generally know they're coming. So what the guy did, the two guys came, and they brought the mirror. What you do is in every ceremony, if you're going to do a curse, a witch doctor will have a dagger. This dagger is kind of, I'm going to say sacred, but it's a dagger yeah. that's been, uh, you know, had a, had a ceremony. It's performed over it. It's a special dagger. What they'll do is they'll lay the mirror face down, reflection down on the table. So here, and, and what you'll do is, is uh, the people will say, we want him called. The, the witch doctor will call to one of his, his demons that he worships. There's generally three. Depending on the power of the witch doctor, you can get right to the top. The top one is called Berum Sandi. Yeah. Oh, all right, good. So anyway, um, so what will happen is you'll call on that. You'll, the witch doctor will then lift up the mirror and the face of the person, the actual face will be in the mirror. This is real, guys. It's, this happens. That's the mirror. There, is this the guy? The people would say, yes, it is. He'll then put the mirror down. And like I say, they're cowards. He'll hand the mirror to whoever and that guy will crack the glass with the knife. He'll stab that face and that is it. The curse is on and the guy is dead, generally within three to five days. So these guys did that. They brought the mirror to this witch doctor in town. Actually, you can read about it in, in a book that, that I'm in that uh, was written by a Canadian couple called, uh, oh, I forget the name, Witch Doctor's Apprentice or something like that. You, you can look it up. I'll anyway, put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what he did was they brought the mirror, and, and the, the witch doctor performed. There were two guys. They were sitting across from him, just like you guys are. And the witch doctor did his ceremony over the mirror. He picked it up, and he showed it to the guys. He said, is this the guy? The two guys were looking, and he said, nobody in there. Witch doctor turned around, no reflection. Okay, put it down. Now he goes to a different level. He, he goes to a, calls on a stronger demon. Did it does the ceremony, picked it up. Is this the guy? They said, there's nobody in the mirror. The witch doctor was frustrated, was frustrated. Couldn't believe it. Puts the mirror back down. This is a true, guys, I was in front of this witch doctor listening to the story. I can tell you. He said the third time he put it down, he called on his top guy. He picked it up, and when he showed it to the two guys, the two guys screamed and jumped back, and they grabbed each other. He saw the reaction. When he turned it around, he said, there's what he saw was an arm with a spike through the hand, and he said the blood was running down the arm. That is what was in the mirror. Three days later, he came to the pastor I was working with, and he got saved, and he told me and the pastor the story. Wow. Three days later. Now, he's been in the U.S. Some of your U.S. listeners have probably already heard this because he's been invited by many churches to go tell that story. That guy was powerful powerful and then now you get to hear what he used to do with children in his rituals and i think he killed like over 150 people i mean he it was just crazy but now he worships the lord i think we know uh, academically god's powerful but that is a an amazing illustration of the power oh, of jesus christ yeah the power of christ yeah and how he's the, working and yeah not just what we see yeah but other other ways. And yeah. that's, wow. I'm yeah. I'm blown away by that yeah. story. Oh no, no, it, 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 it's a good one. It, yeah, that's that's my favorite. I got many, but that that's my favorite. We've had them come to the Lord just through a Jesus film. 
you know, I take the Jesus film up there. You, you know, the mountain people have never seen a movie. They don't even know what it is. You say, Tony's coming up with a movie. What's a movie? Yeah. What's a film? They don't even know. And you show the Jesus film because the Haitians are very animated people. You'll see they're animated. Yeah. But let me tell you, when they're watching something, you can drop a pin in that room. Try doing that with a bunch of Haitians. Never. You, you're yelling at them just, to, you know. <laughs> but when we show the Jesus, oh, my goodness, we had two witch doctors come, Lord. It was beautiful. Guys, it was it was beautiful. It was beautiful. But like I say, you got to make him accountable. So I gave him about three weeks, and I went back up there. I said, "Okay, guys, burn your stuff, because they all have stuff that they use in the rituals that they make money from." Yes. Sure enough, these guys came to my door one morning, knocked on the door. Mr. Tony, here we are. They had all their stuff. We went to the river and burned it. I got the pictures. I got the pictures. Wow. They burnt their stuff. That is real conversion. A lot of them won't do that. Wow. Yeah, a lot of them, yeah. Let's talk about what you're currently doing with the coffee. I know I, I've really been enjoying uh, what we've been talking about with with um, all your story and just what God's working. But how, how's he using you right now to, to fund yeah. your ministry, to bless uh, these Haitian people in the mountains? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, guys, I want to do, do kind of business missions. And in the mountains, they grow coffee. And uh, I was up there one day. And again, I know nothing about coffee, just like everything else I do. And, <laughs> and uh I, I bought some, some coffee beans off the back of a donkey that a lady or kids go to our school. I sent it to a Christian roaster in Canada. It turned out it, it was like the best coffee Haiti grows. And so I started, I bought that coffee. I started to export it. I told my friend, do not sell it to any secular group. I want this sold in the churches. I want the churches to drink it. I want them to know that every time they drink coffee, it's going back to the mountains. And with the money I make from the coffee, it pays for the teachers, rents my donkeys. A donkey costs me seven bucks a day. I mean, it just pays for all I do in the mountains just by doing that. But you know what? Now, but I'm not just funded through coffee. I'm actually funded through people because when you don't ask for money, man, they want to join it. Like, I couldn't believe it. When, when they heard I don't ask for money, they're like, that's the guy we want to partner with. So I am funded by some beautiful brothers and sisters, too. And that money goes towards, we're building the first radio station in the mountains. Faith comes by hearing. There's no signal up there. We're going to be the only radio station in the mountain. Five hours up, 3,500 feet. We're going to have mountaintop Christian radio. I'm building a pastoral training center. It's already funded by a group that heard what I was doing. And... They just gave me the money. I mean, like, it's incredible. That's how God works, That's you know. So cool. You don't have to ask. He knows what you need before you ask. He'll. I just want him to touch someone's heart. I never ask for stuff. I go and I speak, and God will just touch somebody's heart. I could tell you guys so many. That gator is a story right in itself. You know, the guy was in tears. I didn't ask. I didn't tell him I needed a gator or transportation. I said, I ride a donkey. That's a Haitian Hummer. What more do you need? You know? <laughs> and uh, But he just led to get me that machine, which has been a blessing, guys. So, um, yeah, so with the coffee, that just supports my work in the mountains. We send some kids to school. I'm not much into child sponsorship. Uh, I'd sooner sponsor teachers, let the kids come for free. That's what we do in the schools. Okay. We pay the teachers, and then we let the kids come for free because they're so poor up there. We do. We started a feeding ministry up there. You know, Hades had the worst drought in 15 years. I was in an area where the children were eating the bark. I, I told them to keep the goats in a pen, and they said, it's not the goats, Tony. It's the children. I couldn't believe it. I saw the bark off the trees. I thought it was the goats because they do that. And it was the children. They were so hungry. So we just started a feeding ministry. God blessed me with support. I didn't know where the money was going to come from. I either got to sell more coffee or somebody's going to. Sure enough, a check comes in the mail from a church I don't even know. Paid for the entire start Praise of the feeding God. program. Amen. Amen. God that is, is so good, guys. Cool. God is good. Yeah. Man, I love so, this. Yeah. This has been a good, good time. Let me just do some rapid fire questions because. Uh, your, yep. your answers don't have to be rapid fire, but let me just ask some of these questions. I love hearing different people's uh, uh, answers to these questions. What, the first one is, have you had a mentor in missions or somebody that you would look up to that's you really helped you? You know what? I'm going to say not in missions, but I had a beautiful, beautiful elder at my church named Jack Stevenson. And when I got saved, that guy told me, he come up to me and he said, Tone, he says, we're doing a Bible study. I said, what's a Bible study? I literally was saved one week. Wow. I, and Jack Stevenson. That man died, and uh, but boy, I love that guy. He loved the Lord. That's all I want to hear people say. I don't want to hear him say, Tone was some big missionary. I couldn't care less. My name's written in the book of life. That's all that matters, guys. I want them to say, man, that guy loved the Lord, because Jack Stevenson did. He was my mentor. Jack Stevenson loved the guy. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Do you ever... Uh, 
if you give away books or you recommend books, do, do you have a favorite one that you would recommend bes- besides the Bible? You know what? I know uh, the Bible. I, you give a lot of Bibles no, away. You give a lot of yeah. texts. But is there something yeah. that you've read? Um, I, you know what? One really was uh, um, just to educate me on the country. You know, I don't read a lot. Just the book. I read the Bible. and But I've read a couple of books. One was by... Um, Oh, you see, it, this is how much I read, but it was great. Something Revolution and World Missions by, he's an East Indian yes, guy, Indian. Yes. Oh, the great book. Actually, I heard he's in trouble, but you know what? This guy did it right. What's the guy's name? I Revo- know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Let me think about it. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. I, I just yeah, can't. Revolution. Oh, that <laughs> Revolution was a great book. Missions, yeah. The other one was called Travesty in Haiti by, by Timothy Schwartz. Because we interviewed him. I got interviewed for a, for a documentary, and he was in it. Timothy Schwartz wrote a book called Travesty in Haiti. I was speaking. A lady came up because I was doubting at what I was seeing in Haiti. I was kind of doubting myself. I had a lot of negative stuff I was seeing, and I really wasn't sure if it was just my cynical self. Uh, but she came up, she gave me this book, and she said, Tony, you could have wrote this book. Read it. It's exactly what you said. And it's all about corruption in the country with orphanages and, and missions and everything. Yeah, Travis. Great. Here. But that's about it. But Revolution and World Missions was one of my favorites. All right. If you could give your 20-year-old self or you know 25-year-old self some advice, uh, if oh. you could go back and give yourself advice, what, what would you give yourself? Just what would you tell yourself? And Well, yeah, uh, well, I got saved at like 38 years old, so I got saved, I guess, kind of late. But guys, if you're 20 years old and not out there, oh, just think out of the box. Think out of the box. You know what? Don't don't have some big mission come up to you and invite you into a into a big compound and and without discipling somebody. You're there to spread the gospel, not the gravel. Just look at it that way. You you just look at it that way. You've got if you can't go on the mission field and disciple somebody because it's all about God. I personally, as Christians, I I believe we really don't have um, a, a, a concern for the lost like we should. I really don't. I I really don't. But you know what? If you can just say every day, God, what am I going to do for you today? And if you go on a mission trip, you want to make sure you disciple somebody because guess what? When you're in heaven, God isn't going to come up to you and say, "Hey, did you get that house done?" No, he's going to say, did you disciple my, my sheep? Or did you disciple my, my, if, my if, children? If I asked you, what does discipling somebody look like, what would you oh, say? Oh, just your testimony. Just coming up and being real. You, you know, we need to resonate Christ. Just, just show that, that Christ in you and, 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 and be with them. And like, like uh, uh, yeah, just the joy. Like the joy I feel right now That's talking awesome. to you guys. I That's mean, awesome. it's just ripping out of me. Like, just get excited about God. Get excited. Because, you know, in the end, I don't want to go there with a handful of ashes. Man, I want to be in front of Jesus and a pile of crowns. Yes. Throw them at his feet and say, you're the one that's worthy. That's how I look at it, man. You, you don't want to go there. And you got to look at it this way, kids. Use your gift. Find your gift. Find out what it is and use it to the fullest. Because by not using your gift in your life, you are robbing him of the glory he could have got out of you. He could have got out of you. Think about that. That's how I look at it. Tony, what's, uh, what's your prayer life look like? I know you're oh, dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah. What's that look like? How could you encourage yeah. people in their prayer life? Oh, well... Quiet time, guy. Oh, quiet time for sure, which is tough in Haiti. But I'm just going to give you an idea. And like I say, this is just me. I'm going to be tell you. I, I I've been blessed because to the biggest things I missed about being alone on the mission field was number one the fellowship with brothers and sisters like you guys back home. Oh, did I miss it? You know, 70% of the pastors I know in this country don't know the Lord. It's 90% of the people in church are in church. They don't know Christ. They don't have a personal relationship with him. And so, you know, to get fed spiritually was really bad. But I'm going to tell you, Sermon Audio, sermonaudio.com, and I'm plugging these guys because they plugged me, and I didn't want them to. If I didn't find sermonaudio.com and listen to the beautiful preaching and teaching on that that show a friend of mine told me about it i don't even i didn't even know how to look it up on the computer like if it doesn't have an oil filter i'm lost yeah that, that's what i like <laughs> with computers but sermonaudio.com so get fed spiritually but prayer oh just earnest prayer guys earnest prayer just seek his face seek his face and you know get all the pollution out of you get all the you know and i'm no angel guys i sin every day but you know what i i got a, i got a guy that represents me up on do you have a certain time of day you pray or a certain? Yeah, four o'clock in the morning. 
I'm a, I go to bed early. I'm in bed. I got kids. They, they knock me out. 8.30, I'm in bed. I'm up at 4. That's my quiet time. Usually, and I'm not a guy that prays a long time. I mean, I just pray what's on my heart. And when I'm done, I'm done. Then I'll plug into a servant. Of course, I got to make a coffee. Then I'll listen to a sermon. And generally by 5, 5.30, I'm done. But I generally got an hour, hour and a half with the Lord. Yeah, every morning. You come by oh, my house great. in the morning at 4.30, you'll see me on the front porch. I mean, that's just that's just it. I think that's amazing. I, 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 I've been encouraged by Haitians and even your testimony about how much they pray fervently oh, they, and passionately. Oh, they do. They, they're and, uh, oh, they're good at that. 4 a.m. prayer service uh, lifeline yeah. here for 28 yeah. years. Yesterday was the 28th Amen. anniversary of every weekday, 4 a.m. praying. Yeah, That's amazing. That's amazing. Guys in Canada, that's unheard of. That's unheard. You're lucky to get them to church on time. Yeah. You know, and then at 12 o'clock, get me out of here. Right? Got a ball game to go to or something. Tony, who's, do you have a favorite Bible character? Uh, somebody oh, that you, oh. a story you just really love that to share? Well, brother, you know, a typical boring, you know, day. Everybody likes David and, and Joseph, you know. Um, yeah, oh, you know, I kind of, Job, you know, I'm liking Job in the Old Testament, what he went through, you know, and then, you know, All God right. doubled everything when he. All right, right. well, I got one last question yeah. for you, and I this I'm expecting big things from you on this question. Oh. I interview a lot of ministers and, and pastors, and they they don't want to they don't want to sound stupid on the podcast. But what is your most embarrassing moment in ministry? Oh, I, oh, no problem. <laughs> I, yeah. I well, I knew I knew. I'm gonna. I was sleeping in the tent. This this group had a team come down. This mission. They threw them all in tents. I didn't even know they were there. They came at two in the morning. I'm out like a light. I got. I walk out with a pair of shorts on. I got a, I got a, an eight-inch lizard in my shorts. I didn't know. Now you got to understand. I had a near-death experience the day before with a spider on my shoulder, so I was still a little, little scared. I come walking out with just shorts on, early in the morning like I do, and this lizard was in my shorts and it moved. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm looking at 13 people. I freeze because this thing. Well, guess what, guys? I didn't have my underwear. They were hanging on the line. I was going to get them. I dropped my drawers right to my ankle, and I flashed them all. When I dropped those drawers, <laughs> that lizard jumped out of my pants. They saw and onto the tree. It was like eight inches long. You think about that, man? Did that that was the most embarrassing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, that was bad. Oh, that's kind of X-rated. I don't know if the kids need to hear about it. I don't know if anybody yeah. can top that, but that is yeah. so oh, awesome. Oh, that's, that's that sure was embarrassing. Zippers oh. down before a sermon. That yeah. is hilarious. Oh, that, that was, guys, I was so embarrassed. Man, Tony, thank you so much. Well, I, you. I, I want to just um, – I know you're not asking for support, but if people want to contact you, let you know that they're praying for you, oh. uh, send something, connect with you in a ministry way, how would they reach you? Well, if you're in a church, I mean – Guys, just just drink our coffee. I mean, I'm not going to ask you for anything, but if you're drinking that Folgers or that Maxwell House instant junk, let's let's get <laughs> some Kingdom coffee into that church and and uh, know that every cup is going to further the How they get a hold of that Kingdom um, coffee? We've got we've got a distributor, uh, Ebenezer uh, in in Michigan, EbenezerDTC.org, and the Caribbean Choice in Ohio. Uh, is are some distributors and many churches buy through them so we partner with churches and uh yeah and it's great and if you're drinking my coffee i tell everybody hey never i can tell a good story but you know what come to haiti and and i'm going to show you a good story and yeah you know and i've done that and churches have come that drank my coffee and i literally killed them up there in those mountains <laughs> but no it was, it, it, it's a blessing yeah yeah. Well, I'll put that in the show notes, and, and do you have an email or any way to, well, if they wanted to you contact know, you personally? Yeah, 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 and and I'm affiliated with Christian missions in many lands. Like some people that send money, they send it through them. Okay. And uh, they have my, I believe they got my email address, Tony's new email, 57 at gmail.com. Great, man. Yeah, that's it. Well, I don't know if anybody will reach out to you, but I'm yeah. sure they're inspired by your story, and I sure appreciate you. you. Uh, Cody over here is to my left. No. He's just geeking out when when you said that about the <laughs> the computer and the and the and the oil filter. But yeah. uh, man, I'm just so I'm just no. so pumped to have you today. Oh, I'm, and uh, I'm do blessed you, to be do here. Do you want to just uh, wrap up this show with with a final thought? Well, I, guys, we we just serve such a beautiful God. We're all on the same team, guys. We're going to eat at the same table. We're going to eat all at the same table. But you know what? Until then, Jesus Christ deserves a reward for his punishment. He deserves a reward. He has left us here to be his ears, nose, and his mouth. 
We represent him now. We need to resonate Jesus Christ. I, whenever you can, when you walk out your door, your neighbor is the mission field. Your employees are the mission field. They need to know the joy, an unspeakable joy that only he can give. Guys, only he can give. The day I got saved, I had a joy in me I've never, ever, that's never left me. Nothing that the world can ever give you. So just do everything for him and know that any problem in your life, Jesus is bigger than that. And uh, he'll fill every hole in your heart. Don't he'll fill every hole in your heart. That's a great word, brother. Thank you so much thank for you. being on the show. Oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. What a great interview. I'm sure I sure enjoyed talking with Tony, and I think you probably love that as well. I don't know about that embarrassing moment if it'll ever be topped, or at least on this show. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe that, but I just love this guy, his passion, and how much fun he is, and how committed he is to Jesus Christ. Just a few things to wrap up the show before you log out is to head on over to iTunes or Google Play and hit subscribe to the podcast. That way you won't miss an episode in the future, and they will download to your phone once they're released or wherever you listen to this podcast. The other thing is you can find show notes to this episode one more time at renewingourcity.com forward slash 011 for episode 11. If you want to connect with me further and find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Pastor Matt Shaw, or you can email me matt at renewingourcity.com. Hey, until next time, we want you to share Jesus and serve others in your own neighborhoods and around the world. Thanks for listening to the Renewing Our City podcast. For more info about the show, check out RenewingOurCity.com and follow the show on Twitter at RenewingOurCity and Facebook.com slash RenewingOurCity. If you like the show, please rate and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, hit subscribe so you don't have to miss a single episode in the future. We want to give a special thanks to John Smay Productions for producing the show. Now get out there and share Jesus and serve others in your own neighborhood and around the world.